This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What's going is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down 12 fields, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you surely, man? So we were all set on Saturday afternoon, Man City against Wolves, the acid test for young Nathan Collins at the centre of the Wolves' defence. His understated excellence on the ball, his solidity and calmness radiating outwards to all corners of Molyneux. And then, and then, one wildly placed boot into the midriff of Jackie Grealish later, and he's a worldwide celebrity. The Irishman who exacted revenge for a nation on the man who jilted us. What a crazy moment. What a tackle, and what a way to start the week on the Second Captain's Podcast. Hello there, Ken. Hello, Kieran. How are you? Hello there, everyone. What was going through your mind as you watched replay after replay of one of our brightest footballing stars booting Jack Grealish in midair on Saturday, Ken? I just felt so sorry for him. Hmm. I mean, you know. uh, After the laughter about it, of course. Well, I didn't. didn't, It was like, ooh. It was one of those, ooh. Oh, that looks, that looks a little rash. And then the replay the ref was like, straight wow. over with the yeah. red. You know, and you're like, oh, was it really that bad? He kind of pulls out of it a little bit. Or... <laughs> no, no. He pulls out of it once uh, he's like torn flesh. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I felt really sorry for him, you know, because it was, it was like such a massive, memeable event. I mean, yeah. obviously, it was a disaster for, for Wolves as well, because were they already 2 0 down? down? They were yeah, 2 0 yeah. down at the time, and now they're down to 10 men. And you're like, oh my God, this, this, this is, is be, not a good time. This it's it's seldom a good time to get sent off, but this is not this a This is good a time. really bad time to yeah. get sent off. Um, uh, but it's, you know, beyond the beyond the game, which in the end was only 3 0, could have been worse. Uh, it was, it's like, it, it makes his name. 
Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I I know about Nathan Collins. I've been watching Nathan Collins very closely. Mm. I have Nathan Collins in my fantasy football team. Why? Because he scores a lot of points. Yeah. And he's a bloody good player. And he's cheap because people don't realize, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's cheap. He didn't score that many points over, over the weekend. Yeah. But, you know, it's like... So he, he becomes famous for this. You know, this not is everyone like, has seen known. that goal that he scored last year. No, they, they, no one's seen the no goal against that. Everyone has seen him booting but Jack Reed. Everyone, absolutely everybody, which which will obviously get him a reputation. Oh, here's this guy. You know, both it's it's a, both a, a moment of which is both clumsy and violent. Mm. You know, spectacularly so, uh, and you know that will sort of be stuck. You know, I, I suppose on the bright side, you know, would anyone remember Ben Thatcher? You know, if it hadn't been for a couple of a couple of big fouls, you know, there's there's a there's a few different ways to make your name. I you know? don't think we, <laughs> I don't think Nathan Collins is going to end up in the Ben Thatcher department. No, I, don't I mean, it was a, first of all, it was nothing. It was nothing no. like that. It was it was nothing like that. It was it looked worse than it was. You know, it looked. Did mm. Grealish help him rolling around? <laughs> I, I was worried maybe Grealish had a punctured liver or something. To be fair, yeah. you know, and I, don't, you know, I saw some people putting him on on air so, uh, stamps uh, and come all this kind now. of stuff. You know, I, like I don't. David Snead tweeting that as I, you know, well, did Snead did Snead tweet? You know, it's I, very. I don't have the same feelings towards the same complex of feelings around Jack Grealish as mm. I do around you know the other fella. Yeah, I mean, come on. He play, he's got three Ireland caps. <laughs> that, that guy's got three Ireland caps. <laughs> Greenish does not. You know, Greenish only played on the right. So yeah. it's different. It's different for me. But look, it was it was sad. Um it was it was unfortunate. Uh, but uh, he can only get stronger, get even stronger from here. Yes. We'll be talking in just a few minutes to James Horncastle about uh, Juve's horrendous start to the season. They suffered another loss yesterday, this time to a Formula One circuit. Uh, Monza beating them 1-0, which you'd have to say will really does sting. You know, Silvio Berlusconi's Monza, of course. Uh, we have a very special show coming up, here, coming up for you tomorrow on the Second Captain's World Service as Maliki Clerken and I talk to Ron Shelton, the director of Tin Cup, White Man Can't Jump and Bull Durham in a very special edition of the Murph and Mal Movie Club. But that's tomorrow for now, let's get straight to your report on sport, Ken. You're going to say I'm I'm crazy, I suppose. But I honestly didn't think Man City played that well. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wolves bossed the game for, well, the third quarter? See, almost the entire third Ten quarter. Ten-man Wolves. Ten-man Wolves. The diminished Played them off the pack. bloody park. Right, um, up, right up until City got that third. I honestly, I was thinking this is—they're really not playing well. I mean, I mean, they—they were—they scored in the first minute. Grealish scored in the first minute. You know, Grealish did another one of his nice interviews afterwards. Like his openness is very endearing. Yes, you know, he's just yeah. Like, his, oh. his interviews are good. Yeah, yeah. I just I needed that. You yeah, know, I, was, I feel terrible. I was low on confidence. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, Pep said that I we did we didn't buy him for the incredible goals and assists. Guardiola said as he defended Grealish, but you know during the week before the game, just as well. <laughs> but but you know, and and what Pep meant was that he brings other things. Don't look at just the crude numbers. Mm. It's not about those numbers. But it, it did sort of help to to put more it kind of focuses on the numbers in, in a yeah. way. Even saying don't look at the numbers makes you mm. well. He hasn't really done much. So obviously he got one and um, and played pretty well. I mean after and and was and was sort of thanking Guardiola for playing him again after he played so badly in the Champions League. Yeah. You know, and you're kind of like Jack, like you're not doing yourself any favors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't give a guy any excuses like. But like uh I mean again Did like you the, see me last week. Oh wow, how bad I was. Well, wow. I mean, you know, Greatest is such a he's such a kind of an interesting character. Like the 
Did you see that video recently of Guardiola uh, talking to the team at halftime in the Villa game, the last game of the Premier League last no. season? There was a video, there was like a halftime a video of, of some of the team talk of Guardiola. Wow. And you know all the all the city players. I don't know what it was, you know what the sort of documentary was from or what yeah. or how, anyway, the city put out the footage. And you know, you see all the city players they're they're losing. They're 1-0 down to Villa who, you know, one nil out of Villa is in the end of yeah. the world, yeah, but obviously there's you know it's a tense situation, mm. and Guardiola is like you know guys basically his his message is all we need is a goal and then we're gonna you know roll over these guys and you know we have to believe we're gonna do it and it's mm. all about blah blah, and he you know Pep is as you can imagine is is uh, is fairly he's up yeah you know what I mean he's up frantic. Uh, and he's not frantic, but he's definitely, you know, he's, it's high energy. And uh, the the team is sort of sitting around in various sort of, you know, the players are sitting there in their various sort of postures. You know, most are sort of looking intently at Pep or looking quite serious. Grillo is sitting with his arms folded and his, like, kind of completely, his body is kind of completely straightened out. Mm. So he's, he's leaning back in the most, and his eyes are open like a fraction. <laughs> and he really looks like a guy who's about to fall asleep. <laughs> I'm just thinking, you need to think more about how things look. You know, like, uh, he, you know, he's, uh, he didn't end up coming on in that game. No. He wasn't one of the one of the men Guardiola turned to. Maybe his Pep looked around the dressing room. Who can I turn to in this? Jack, wake up! <laughs> I'm going to pick a guy who who looks like he's he's not. Uh, so look again, it, and and maybe that's just Grealish's way of concentrating. He likes mm. to relax when he concentrates. Fair enough, but it just sometimes maybe he could he could think more about what he presents. But like everybody likes him, you know, which is the great thing about. Uh, I mean, do you like him? I kind of can't help myself yeah, from liking him. He's yeah. Nice, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, it, sometimes that manifests itself in me laughing when he gets kicked up in the air. Uh, I, I didn't, you know? I mean, I was, yeah. I mean I, I, it's, it's a complicated series of emotions that I have. You know, I, I kind of, I, I just, I like watching him, you know, in yeah. a way that... Uh, he's very watchable. Yeah, in, in a way that I don't for many other Man City players other than Haaland. You know, and that, that's why I have to credit Man City with what they've done over the last two summers. They have made Man City games interesting to watch, purely mm. by dint of, oh my God, Grealish is playing so terribly here, or, oh my God, Haaland is ridiculous. <sighs> Unbelievable. I mean, in that goal yesterday, it's just a different type of goal from the ones he's already mm. scored. He scored an outside-the-box goal with his, with his weak foot, which the goalkeeper probably should get, but... He's also really, yeah. He's also really not expecting Haaland no. to shoot at that moment. I think not to not to there with that type of shot, and with also right with the foot. defender in the way, yeah. Um, which which maybe meant he saw it just a little bit late, but yeah, phenomenal stuff. So really, it's it couldn't have gone any better. Well, it couldn't have gone much better for Haaland uh, this first part of the season, which is now broken by internationals. Um, really has uh, set things up nicely. Arsenal still top of the league, um, and this time reversing their Brentford nightmare from last season. They saw all the Sky promos, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, Thomas Frank talking uh, about spine tingling. Uh, oh, you're, make, you're making me emotional here. I'm talking about Friday night football. Brentford three, Arsenal one. Was it three, the first game of last now? season? Yeah, yeah. yeah when um, when Arsenal's season was over after. Three games. <laughs> well, three, three. They, they lost that, their first three. Yeah, yeah. That game alone, though, everyone. I, I seem to recall Arsenal fans in my, uh, uh, in my circle, 
text me going well the season's over and it was the Friday night before the season began on the Saturday so literally before the football season had begun Arsenal's season was over as a result of what Brentford did to them well uh, last season it, wow. is, it is a bad way to, to start but obviously this was a turnaround and, and I saw Gabri- I think it was Gabriel Magalhaes uh, writing um, nice kick about with the lads or something mm. just uh, turning back Ivan Tony's infamous taunting tweet on yeah. him House Magaya sends its regards <laughs> to uh, Tony. So, and it and it sort of shows. You know, we were talking recently about about Graham Potter and uh, should he jump? Should he go for it? Should mm. he? You know, when you're managing a club like Brighton or indeed Brentford, you know those great moments. I mean, Brentford remember we're beating Man United four 0 just a few weeks back. You know, there can always be then a sort of a coming back to earth. Maybe sometimes you got to jump while the going is good. But um, not that uh, there's doubt about Thomas Frank. In fact, we uh, mentioned of Brighton there. They have appointed the successor to, um, to Graham, Potter. Graham Potter. It's Roberto De Zerbi, who um, actually uh, we're talking to James Horncastle today, and he talks a little bit about uh, De Zerbi and his, his kind of... Uh, his role in the Italian football culture war, which is obviously, I mean, that's just the, the general nature of things in our time. Mm. There is, no matter what the sphere of activity, there is some kind of culture war. Uh, what is the, uh, on, on what battlegrounds is the Italian football culture war being fought out? Between the sort of traditional Italian values of football and the modern, new, dare I say, German, Austrian, Salzburg, mm. Uh, values, uh, which are, um, well, James Horncastle will explain it better than I, but Deserby is, is a real uh, apostle for the new way, sweeping away all of the old fossils, uh, such as Allegri and Capello and all of those guys. Mm. Saki. Sa- well, no, Saki, Saki, obviously, Saki was Deserby before Deserby. He was, you know, he, he gotcha. but, you know, they, oh, they took care of Saki pretty good. You know, but now now he's back. Like Spartacus, he'll come back and he'll be millions. And uh, now there's there's the Zerbi and there's a bunch of other guys who are all like trying to, you know, basically become the new top managers now. Anyway, um, uh, James will will talk about that. But yeah, he 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 was last manager of Shakhtar Donetsk. Before that, he was manager of Sassuolo. Sassuolo, who had a great team when he was the manager, and they supplied three players to the Euro. 2020, 2021 winners. Um, Locatelli was there, Berardi and Raspadori. Uh, so yeah, he's um, he's got a good reputation for you know being a kind of progressive manager and all that sort of stuff. So hopefully it goes well for Brighton. Um, but what else is? Yeah, there, there was a lot of stuff uh, happening. I mean, obviously it was it wasn't a great Premier League weekend mm. with a bunch of games off and so on. Um, there were some interesting things happening though um, in the other uh, big leagues. Um, Real Madrid beat Atletico Madrid 2-1 but there was some absolutely crazy stuff happening around this game to do with Vinicius mm. well I, I only I have to say I've only seen this uh, through Gabriel Jesus well Gabriel uh, Jesus was like like a lot of other Brazilians Neymar I saw was sort of posting about it um, Vinicius essentially this guy called Pedro Bravo, who is an agent uh, in Spain, was on, uh, and I think he's like the head of some agents. He's quite a high-profile agent, mm. the head of some agents association. He was on El Chiringuito, and um, uh, Vinicius had scored against, I think, Mallorca, and had done a, you know, dance, yeah, um, which is, you know, he often does. 
you know, and, and this guy's like, you got to respect the opponent. You know, if you want to dance, go to the Samba Drome in Brazil. In Spain, you have to respect rivals. Stop playing the monkey. Right. So he says, stop playing the monkey. And then obviously everyone's like, well, hang on. Wow. This is, this is a bit much. And he says, oh, no, the, the expression playing the monkey uh, that I have used to qualify Vinicius' goal celebration dance was metaphorically uh, to, it meant to do stupid things. My intention was not to offend anyone. I sincerely apologize. I am sorry. And I saw that on El Chiringuito, um, Jose Pedro Roll, who is the face of the show, mm. evidently w was felt that he needed to address this um, issue, which had become quite controversial, um, not least because Vinicius had, had responded to it and showed his tattoo. Uh, he's got on his left leg tattooed, in quanto accorda pele for mais importante que o brilho dos olhos haverá guerra, which means as long as the color of the skin is more important than the light in the eyes, we will have war. And I've got a kind of a clenched fist. Um, so uh, whatever about this guy saying, oh, you know, I, I didn't mean to say it. If, you know, the word monkey just means you mm. know to clown around, he's doing silly things. Um, it's clear that Vinicius. Um, who, as a black player in social media, is probably familiar with uh, how these emojis are used. Yeah. I mean, maybe this is something Pedro Bravo needs to uh, get his head around. Um, took it uh, took it rather differently than that guy says he was intended with, the, you know, that it had big uh, racist intent. And I see that uh, Jose Pedro Roll, um, again, the face of El Chinguido, in Spain, don't do the monkey means, don't play dumb. If I, If it bothered you, I apologize. I apologize if anyone took offense. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he says, it may be an inappropriate expression, but it's not racist. I care that any viewer was bothered. And for that, I apologize. Again, if anyone uh, was bothered or took offense. I don't think Spain is a racist country, even though there are racists in it. Here we make mistakes with inappropriate expressions, but not racist. Um, uh, there's so much hypocrisy in the world that it makes me a little disgusted. So there's some hypocrites mm. in, among the critics. I apologize if it bothered you at Vinny Jr. So this is crazy. But okay, what, they're saying this, um, this is used in the sense of, oh, it was to describe the behavior. Mm. It was a metaphor for being clowning around. What about when the fans gather outside the stadium and sing, Vinicius is a monkey? What about that? Is that also... So this is what they did. That's what the Atleti fans did. There were these, there were these crowds of Atletico Madrid fans. You could hear this song, like loads of them are singing Eris and Mono, Vinicius Eris and Mono, meaning Vinicius a monkey. One guy had had the um, had like you know the Chiringuitos doll. Remember the the, the yeah. whole that that's you know they've got these like little chocolate bites or whatever, and they've got this like ludicrous kind of caricature. Who's like the face of the brand? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the brand. There's nothing racist about this. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, well, I it mean, just seems what like about in this context? Yeah, you know, when you put like a Real Madrid top on and a scarf and, and yeah. wave them around while you sing, Vinicius is a monkey. Yeah, this is honestly, it was, it was crazy. Like right, it's, it's like it's, something it, from the mid eighties. It, it, it was unbelievable. It was really unbelievable. So I don't know what they're going to do about this. And it seems to me that they've got to. There should be some action against Atletico for this. You know, I mean, that it's it's. It's really crazy behavior. So, uh, like if they, if they the say this is fine. Inside the stadium. Well, uh, inside the stadium, I'm sure they're saying. Anyway, the Real Madrid won the game too. When Vinicius didn't score, he did uh, create the second goal for Valverde. He hit the post and Valverde knocked in a rebound. The first goal was scored by Rodrigo. Great goal. And um, uh, they obviously danced down at the corner flag yeah. himself and, and Vinicius. Um, 
Uh, and Atletico scored late and had a man sent off late. So they'll probably go walk out there thinking they were the victims because the sending off was a bit was a bit stupid. It was like mm. a guy pushes a guy at a corner and the referee sends him off, which seems a bit harsh. Yeah. But um, so yeah, just to, just a kind God, of a, it's 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 a pretty bad look when yeah. uh, your main television show, you know, it, well, El Chiringuito is such a huge um, part of the football landscape in Spain and the that's the way they deal with something like this. Yeah. You know, sorry if you're offended. It's kind of, it is kind of grim, isn't it? Yeah. The whole, the whole situation was, was pretty ugly. Um, what, what else was going on? There was, a, there, there was some very, very funny photographs of uh, the Bayern Munich um, uh, guys, the, the, the top Bayern the stars. The director's box. Uh, well, the staff, the technical secretariat, as Diego might call it. <laughs> Uh, and obviously the players at Oktoberfest, ah. uh, which Wiesen, never fails to raise a giggle. Really, Wiesen, like, oh, well, you know, usually they're they're smiling, but this time they're all they're all standing there, like absolutely shamefaced because they've lost to Augsburg. It's like their first, they're fourth now, aren't they? Or something? I, I, I'm not sure where they are in the league. I mean, I saw a poll on on. Um, Spiegel or whatever saying, do you think Bayern are still going to win the league anyway, despite their three draws and defeat in the last four matches? And 80% of people said yes. Mm. So Fifth. Yeah, so, so no three one's got much faith yeah, well. in, um, in, in the rest of the league managing to seize this opportunity that Bayern seems to be giving them. Um, Nagelsmann after the game, you know, so it's, it seems like there's a real sense of this guy, is he really a Bayern manager? When you saw the face of him sitting there, sitting there with Salah Hamzic, the sporting director, and Oliver Kahn, um, who you know was a, a legendary figure of Bayern, just looking so sad in in their silly Bavarian outfits <laughs> with these giant beers that they're obviously not drinking. And he said, "I don't want to go. You know, if we have to go for sponsorship reasons, then I suppose I'll go. But I just don't really feel like going to Oktoberfest right now." Yeah, and they, which they had to do anyway. And uh, you know, so so obviously the the drama there. Is uh, is around Lewandowski having left, mm. and Mane has come in. But th- it's kind of like we we want to replace Lewandowski's fifty goals a season with like a bunch of guys who can all score. But it's like, okay, who's going to actually do that though? Yeah, who, who are you going to pick? Who's going to be playing where? This is kind of complicated. In theory, this you know we've got some great players here. You know, Gnabry, Sane, Mane, uh, Musiala. None of them is just going to score. And so who obviously turns up at this? Uh, the, the one way the situation could be improved is Diego Torres interviewing Hassan Salahamazic. <laughs> in, in, in another brilliant interview, in which he is trying to prove his thesis that mm. Robert Lewandowski is <laughs> is a, a tank, as he calls it. Yeah. Uh, you know, he groups them with other tanks like uh, Mario Gomez and Karsten Janker. And <laughs> come, like, on. come on, come on, yeah, go on. Karsten Janker is a name I haven't heard in a lot. Like, well, do you think uh, Barca are just going to become like a cross factory? You know, they just mm. knock the ball into the box for Lewandowski to boot the ball into the net. You know, like, it's kind of simple stuff. You know, mm. that's what Barca... And Salah it won't take the bait. He's just saying, look, Lewandowski's a great player and he's going to do really well. I mean, sure, they have to assist him, but he will mm. give you a lot. <laughs> so he wasn't really going for the that line. But he he did say one detail, which was that, look, we can't... Lewandowski's brilliant. We didn't want him to leave. But we can't give... We can't pay 160 million euros for mm. a guy who's 34. So is that is that what they're paying him? Well, it's, I think maybe what he's, <clears throat> what he's saying is that... Uh, 
Barcelona played, paid 40 million for him, mm. and then they're going to pay another 120 million in wages over the course of his contract until, you know, he wanted a contract from Bayern until he was a four year deal and take yeah. him to, up to 38, which they weren't going to give him. Um, whether Barcelona, I'm not sure if Barcelona's deal is three or four years, but it seems like it's well over, it's it's certainly at least 120 million euros that, they're, that it's costing them to have Lewandowski between ages 34 to 37. Uh, and maybe more than that, which would mm. seem pretty pretty uh, nuts. I am looking at this photograph of Oliver Cad and oh. uh, Nagels. <laughs> it is pretty funny, to be fair. It's just they. It, it just looks like they're having such a terrible time. Oh man! Uh, you know, and everyone having to wear the costume. Yeah. But uh, and obviously they had Sadio Mane there as well. No beer. Uh, he he was the only one I saw that didn't have a huge beer in his hand. Fair enough. Mm. Uh, he'll he'll go, but he won't uh, fully participate. Um, so what else is going on? Oh, just uh, Chelsea. Um, Chelsea are signing uh, Christoph Freund, apparently, who is going to be their new sporting director. Um, he has been the sporting director at Red Bull Salzburg, who obviously are the, you know, they're doing something that, they're doing something right. I mean, they've got some uh, great players in there. Haaland, obviously, Mane, before him, Keita, who at least was very good in Austrian and German football. Um uh, Upa Mekano, who's now at Bayern. So, uh, and the likes of Salbeslai, who's now gone to Leipzig. You know, they've, they're, they're, they're finding players better than almost anybody else. Yeah. Chelsea reckon we can use a bit of that. Um, and, uh, I mean, the thing is, it's a different sort of job, though, at Chelsea. You know? I mean, yeah. He, he knows... He, the, the players he brings into Chelsea have to be better than some really already quite top players. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the entire business model is kind of different. You know, I mean, if you're at Salzburg and you you find one guy as good as the guys that you've named, then that's like, it, it becomes self-perpetuating at the, at the level that you're developing players. Yeah. Like one 50 or 60 million uh, euro transfer means you've done your job for two or three years. Yeah. Whereas with Chelsea, it's you will get to sign five players probably at, of... 50 million uh, euros or in or around that and if one of those is a bust then you failed at your job yeah which is a, it's it's actually an entirely different setup really, and, isn't and, it? and you also need to be you know you need the manager to be kind of working with you or whatever which probably Graham Potter I imagine will I mean I can't imagine that, that this wasn't discussed when he uh, took the job and I'm sure that um, you know that Christoph Freund uh, knows some players in the 50 million 60 million 70 million bracket as well as the sort of Hungarian gems that he's been finding. Um, but maybe what interests Bowley as well about him is the fact that he has been working in this transnational club structure, you know, or this this kind of international network yeah. of Red Bull clubs, which Bowley has said he, he would like to try to emulate at Chelsea, which, you know, again, is... Uh, I mean, he obviously thinks this is an idea that's good. Obviously, you see Man City doing it, Red Bull doing it. Why can't we do it? Uh, how it will ultimately work for Chelsea is, is hard to it's hard really to understand I guess yeah. at this point um, like how do you yeah like the, like Bowley has to go buying clubs not Chelsea you know yes yeah. <laughs> well I mean they, he can he can do that I mean there seems to be no shortage of money I mean I was writing about Bowley this this week um, because of his uh, obviously he had a big he had a big news week last week and uh, just to look at some of his older comments you know and it's sort of trying to figure out what exactly he thinks he's doing you mm. know because it does 
look at the moment a bit chaotic, you know, at Chelsea. Obviously, they paid so much money for the takeover. It's the biggest ever takeover in football. Um, it's It was a world record uh, uh, takeover for any sports team. I think now the Denver Broncos is actually... The Denver Broncos was sold for four point six five million billion dollars, which is more than Chelsea. Chelsea's two and a half million pounds. But the Chelsea deal also included this extra one point seven five billion, which was supposed to, to be invested in different ways: mm. players, stadium, I don't know, buying clothes in Portugal and Belgium. Who knows? Um, but how do you think this is gonna work out, Todd? You know, how are you gonna make money when you're, you know, mm. when you're, and like, so his his background really is. Um, is I mean he's he's a guy who thinks all day about revenue streams and like lines of uh, credit and uh, you know uh, income generating assets and uh, how they sort of add up and where you can find little percentages which add up to big percentages uh, over time. Um, he's he's friends with Michael Milken. Uh, the Michael Milken um, is probably the most famous, certainly the most notorious bond trader of the 80s who ended up going to jail. I mean, mm. incredible, you know, when you, when you consider it. <laughs> wow, he must amazing. really have uh, screwed I mean, the pooch on that one. <laughs> he ended up uh, doing, serving nearly two years in jail. Like, mm. jail, you know? Mm. Just... That is, I've, I have in mind the jail at the end of Wolf of Wall Street, but nevertheless, jail I, well, is jail. I, I, but I think... I think um, no, not Wolf of Wall Street, but rather Wall Street mm. may have... I think he was probably one of the models for Gordon, Gordon Gecko. Gecko, you know what I well, mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah, big mates with Todd Bowley, uh, apparently. Obviously, they don't invest together. There was an investigation no. into that, you know, because Milken's not allowed to, to yes. um, you know, to do certain investment things as a result of having previously uh, committed all these crimes, mm. uh, for which he was pardoned by President Trump. Oh, okay. So <laughs> President Trump, President Trump pardoned Milken. He's talked to Milken before, though, on, on podcasts and stuff like this, and, and seems to have a. He says that Milken is no more a hero of mine than uh, Steve Jobs, Ben Franklin, or Mark Twain. <laughs> wow! So three, three American heroes. That is, yeah. No more, no more a hero than Steve Jobs, <laughs> yeah. Ben, Ben Franklin, but or also Mark no Twain. less. Well, no more, no more of an idol. Yeah. Uh, if someone said Ken Early is no more of an idol to me than three other people, I would say, I think you think Ken Early is pretty much on a par with those. Three. <laughs> it it does seem to that suggest is, that. that yeah. It seems to suggest that without saying it. Yeah. You know, but like so. So the thing about him is, is like, what is. You know, he he, come, he comes out with all this stuff last week about All Star, this and you know, relegation tournaments and blah blah. And maybe there are lessons there. And obviously, got this big negative reaction. Oh, how dare you yeah. tell us what to do? But his real ideas are not going to have anything to do with that type of stuff, which is strictly window dressing type stuff. This is like spitballing, like you know. There's some random ideas. You've like got that. me up on a stage here. You've, I've got yeah. the little Britney Spears Here's some mic. back to fag packets yeah, stuff for I'm you. Gonna, you're going to ask me some questions about the Premier League. I'm going to answer it. But like, yeah. The real thing that Todd Bowley is interested in is rights. This is what it's all about. And, you know, his... Uh, I mean, okay, there's... There's the, you know, he's, the intellectual property. Like, he's, he's interested in stuff which generates audiences. Like, he owns, like, the Golden Globes and stuff like this. He's mm. got, like, various interests in film. Um, and so he, he owns the company that made Moonlight. Remember the Oscar-winning movie from yeah. a couple of years ago? Um, but, he, you know, he, he was saying, you know, uh, intellectual property 
um, our global fan base, developing the global fan base is our number one goal, to give them things they don't get anywhere else. We're the only place you can go to experience the insides of Chelsea Football Club. And we think about what we're going to do digitally with that platform. It's absolutely a direct connection with our fans, the people who care the most, the passion people have. You can think about it, you can intellectualize it, but when you're experiencing it, I don't think there's anything like it. But he's talking about like the Chelsea app. Man United go on about this all the time. Man United are obsessed yeah. with their app. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. the app is the way that they can get people, they can um, get people turn fans into subscribers is a mm. phrase Bowley uses and a phrase Man United also use. Uh, they can kind of get people all over the world already involved um, find out uh, learn mm. lots of stuff about their, their internet using habits see what kind of stuff they're interested in and then offer them that stuff. So this is commercially a good strategy. One which obviously Bowley thinks they're not really doing it yet and there's a massive commercial upside there. This is one of the reasons that this very expensive deal and then throwing money like 278 million on new players mm. in one window which is a chelsea record for a big spending club um this is all about you know it's like the, the barcelona virtuous circle you know we need to we need to create excitement around this thing otherwise we're you mm. know the whole thing is about whether people are excited about it but but the it all comes back really to the rights and when he took over the and by, by the media rights, mm. selling the the right to, to show the games yeah. or making money from showing the games, the, tapping that audience, that's that's the thing that live sport creates. This huge live audience, it doesn't. It's increasingly hard to get anything else that, that creates that. Mm. Um, when he took over the Dodgers, people thought it was too much money, so it was one point five seven five billion dollars. Um, this was uh, twenty twelve. People were like that's crazy. I mean, it was a record at the time. I was like, well, I mean, how are you going to make money? Like, this is nuts. Um, his insight at the time was to see that the rights deal was vastly undervalued, where he thought they could do much better. Like, it was $3 billion. This is what people thought they were going to be paying for the next. And the rights were up for renegotiation in 2013, the next year. So he sold them immediately for $7 billion. So immediately he was like, we're, we're in Clover now. Mm. Like, I've, I've, this is a, I've hit the jackpot. It's, a, you know. Yeah. In the Premier League, it's hard to see how this can be emulated because number one are the rights undervalued i mean you'd have to say the domestic rights hard to see how you can make an argument for that they've peaked or they've peaked in terms of they didn't go up mm. the last couple of times and the uk has got a lot of economic problems i mean which is which is sort of the, the yeah. big kind if of people aren't turning on their moment. heat then there's you you'd have to say that that's going to have some sort of a impact down the line down the luxury line, items you know, like Sky your BT BT or you're going to be yeah. you know people are going to be sort of thinking well you know are there, is there any other way to get this stuff to appear mm. on my television without having to pay sky or bt and you know, people are thinking about these mm. types of alternatives yeah um i can't you know you can't uh, illegally stream your heat for instance no, it would be it would be some take some complex engineering, and mm. someone would eventually smell a rat. <laughs> um, but but so it, it's hard to see how that's you know a uh, how, how there's much room left for growth there, which leaves international rights, and also it leaves the question of how the rights are going to be divided. How much of this are, is Chelsea going to have to share? Mm. You know, and that's going to be the. The, maybe it's not going to be as controversial as suggesting the Premier League should have an all-star game. It's going to be much more consequential, you know, when, when Bowley is like, well, you know, people are here to see Chelsea. They're not here to see all these other, other little teams. I mean, it's, it's us and a handful of other clubs. I mean, it's, he won't be the first owner of a big club to be to looking at it this, this way. Yeah. But he is another one who will, be, who will very much be, um, be looking at that way. But the other, the other big, the, the, the fundamental bedrock of Todd Bowley's optimism 
um, seems to be in something else he said, I think it was a Sportico podcast, where he was talking about, well, he, at the end of this long podcast where he talked about loads of stuff like, uh, you know, how we consume the game and maybe we'll have a basic feed for like the people who've been experiencing broadcast for old people. Yeah. You know, people like you, me. Yeah. And older. Yeah. And then people who... Even older. People who want a more interactive, you know, it's not gambling, but it's like engagement. You know, you can say, you can vote on things like the kind of things socios.com are sort of trying to get people to vote on or yeah. whatever, be in order that you'll go on the app and like you'll accumulate loyalty po points, which can then be cashed in somehow. You're more yeah. engaged and they're, they're drawing you into their web. And then obviously you do have the gambling. I mean, gambling is illegal, yeah. you know, gambling, gambling's fine. If you gamble responsibly, you know, you, you can have a gambling sort of display, all of these types of things. Mm. Um, but but the fundamental bedrock of his optimism, I think, comes from the, the environment that he's been dealing in for the last 15 years. So nearly 15 years. So he mentioned Mark Twain. Mark Twain's famous investment advice was buy land. They're not making it. They're not making it anymore. That was his formula. He's like, you can't, you can't yeah. lose. Um, and there's a bit of that logic in Bowley's attitude to these sports teams, and also the fact that in the investment environment that we've had of cheap money over the last however many years, the age of quantitative easing, mm. the age of governments just... <laughs> I mean, we say printing, but actually, as Ben Bernanke famously said, you type it into the computer... Uh, the new balance, <laughs> you know, they yeah, just yeah. sort of inventing money. All of these dollars they've invented and euros they've invented have got to ultimately go somewhere. And that's why asset prices just keep going up. And Tom Bowley literally said this. I mean, he said, um, I mean, he's talking about how, uh, you know, he, with my background in credit, it's about the price point you get attached at. And if the company's worth what, you know, more than that, then you, you're going to, the outcome can't be that bad, mm. you know. But he goes on uh, that the teams like the Dodgers or, or like Chelsea or whatever, this is before he bought Chelsea, are going to continue to go up in value as more dollars come into the system. There's going to be an expansion of value. So basically, if it, you know, if, if all this dollars are floating out of the Fed, like how is this going to get? How is it going down? Seems to be at bottom. What's yeah, yeah, what, yeah. What, what's underlying his logic? He's like, there's not many. There's not many of them. He means the teams. They're not manufacturing more of them. There might be a handful more, but they're not manufacturing a lot more. So like land, it's... it's you know, Yeah, you've, you've they're got not Chelsea. making them anymore. Although, I kind of wonder, what you, have you seen what, what's happening at Newcastle sort of thing? They, they, Newcastle's been there a long time, but this is a new sort of a thing, you know? Mm. If you're looking at limited spots for the Champions League, then you just got a competitor in there. Yeah, we talked to James Horncastle shortly, and, and one of the things he's talking about is the Super League. Well, the Super League, as it was constituted, seems to be dead. But what about the idea of a European, a continental mm. Super League, which doesn't involve the Premier League? Suddenly then you've, you've got a radically different competitive environment from the point of view of big Premier League clubs. Anyway, um, but, but just, to, just to finish on body, as we're adding more and more liquidity into the system, and that, that's going to continue to expand values. All markets are like this. And he kind of goes, makes this kind of up and down. Yeah. You know, this markets go up and down. But in the end, if the supply of money keeps growing and the asset itself is finite, it's hard to see it doing anything other than going up in value. So it's literally just like keep keep pumping that money pump, you know, and like all the, the all these boats are going to keep rising. Uh, and you just think, okay, well, basically, you know, as he says, if if that keeps happening, then I don't really see how, how he can lose. So the only way that he can lose is if that somehow stops happening. 
but nobody can predict that. Okay, Ken's chat with James Horncastle coming up right after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's a beautiful summer's day. The breeze is stupendous. 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 Would this podcast be even more stupendous without ads? Without ads? Ads. If so, then join us for daily commercial-free shows at secondcaptains.com for just five euro a month. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not bumping them up. I'm not Irish. I'm just saying my observations. They are amazing. Stupendous. Stupendous. James Horncastle, it's great to talk to you on the podcast as ever. Pleasure to be with you. Um, now today, James, we want to talk about the decline and fall of Juventus. This is was a, a, a sporting empire that seemed to have Serie A in a stranglehold. Generation after generation of success, nine league titles in a row. Um, then they come forth two years ago, fourth again last year, currently eighth after losing to Monza, who started at a bottom of the league, had never won a match in Serie A before, and they're also joint bottom of the Champions League group after losing to both PSG and Benfica. So, James... Why has this happened and what, or more importantly, who is to blame? (laughs) It's a big question. Um, I think you have to go back probably to 2018. Um, I think that was a pivotal moment in Juventus' recent history um, because they had put the club back on top in many respects. Um, you know, Andrea Agnelli became the chairman of the club in 2010. Um, they had finished seventh under the previous um, chairman, a guy called Giovanni Coboligili. And, you know, they hadn't won the league um, for a long time, uh, if you don't count the, the titles which were evoked in the Calciopoli scandal. Um, and, you know, as much as people say, uh, you know, Juventus, they're wealthier than everybody else. They can, you know, just go into the Agnelli's bank account and spend what they want. Um, they really can't. And they, they put together kind of a, a, a very good model um, at the beginning of, of the last decade where loads of really good players were turning them down. They were like, why would I go and play for Juventus right now? Uh, they finished seventh in back-to-back years. You know, that was the case with Robin Van Persie, Sergio Aguero. Um, even players who were good domestically, like Antonio Di Natale, they didn't want to go to Juventus. And so they did business on the cheap, free transfers, 
Um, they obviously made a great managerial appointment in Conte. Um, you know, they then replaced him um, successfully with Allegri first time around. Um, and they built a business that way by getting into the Champions League regularly, by often taking players on free transfers and then selling them for huge money like Pogba. Um, and that allowed them to kind of kill domestic competition because the money they got from Manchester United for Pogba, they basically used to take the two best players from their two rivals at that time, which were Gonzalo Higuain at Napoli and, and Pjanic at Roma. Um, they got to two Champions League finals. Um, they came close, but they didn't win it against, admittedly, uh, Barcelona that had Neymar, Messi and Suarez up front and Real Madrid with Benzema, Cristiano and Bale. Um, and, you know, as is always the case with these clubs that become serial winners in their domestic leagues, the league is no longer enough. And, and so they took a risk. And uh, that risk was to go away from the model that had served them so well up until then and to sign Cristiano Ronaldo. And, yeah, that appealed for a couple of reasons. It appealed to Cristiano because he wanted a new challenge. He didn't feel loved by Real Madrid anymore. And he had seen that Juventus had got to the Champions League final in two of the last three years. And they appealed to Juventus because they thought he would be the difference between them finishing runners-up in that competition and winning that competition for the first time um, since that Lippi team in, in the 90s. Um, and even that victory was kind of shrouded in controversy. Um, and it also appealed to Juventus from a commercial point of view um, because they believed that um, Ronaldo could help them bridge the gap with um, the other elite in European football. And I think this story goes a little bit, uh, it's been lost over the years that when Juventus were relegated in the Calciopoli scandal and came up, um, you know, they then got back into the Champions League. They then tried to put together a Scudetto winning team. They got it wrong. They fell out of the Champions League for a couple of years and uh, and that, that's what brought Agnelli to power. Um, and in that time, that's when Champions League money went through the roof. Um, it's when the real, it's when the Premier League started to leave everybody else for dust. In you terms you of mean, the sorry, the sort of 2011, 12, 13, 14, that sort of period? Sort of t 2006 to 2012. Oh, earlier, okay. 12, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so the, the, the Champions League revenue starts to build and build and build. Um, Real Madrid and Barcelona obviously kind of hit their peaks, I would say. Um, and the Premier League starts to leave um, sort of its domestic competitors, you know, City and La Liga, I think, for dust in terms of, you know, its international TV rights and that. And so Agnelli would kind of come over here for, uh, to London for those conferences. And he would say, look, the risk for, 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 for us now is that, um, you know, Bayern, um, Real Madrid, Barcelona, the Premier League teams, they're, they're in a first-class carriage on the Orient Express. And we've basically got our foot um, between the first-class and the second-class cabins. And um, you know, it's, quite, it's, it's, it's quite unedifying for an Agnelli to have to sit in the second-class cabin or, or get used to that. And so, and so the, the feeling was that signing Cristiano would help deliver the kind of success in the Champions League um, that would confer greatness on the, on the club uh, globally again uh, and bring with it loads of commercial revenue. Um, you know, it, Cristiano going back to Manchester United, you know, as much as people said, oh, he's going to deliver commercial uplift to Manchester United, they don't need it. 
in the way that Juventus needed. Um, and ultimately, that uh, you know, signing Ronaldo was uh, was a failure um, because they didn't win the Champions League. Um, they got progressively worse um, for reasons I think we've discussed before on this podcast and people have seen what's happened when Ronaldo's gone to Manchester United. And uh, the timing was actually unfortunate as well because midway through his second year, the pandemic happens. And the stadium, um, which had been really the difference maker for them in City A as a, as a kind of revenue differentiator between them and their peers, is shut. The prices, the ticket prices that they kind of hiked when they signed Cristiano because they thought they could justify it. Um, well, they weren't selling tickets anymore because they were playing behind closed doors. And, you know, commercial sponsorships, as we've seen, TV, there's rebates. Um, and what they're left with is this massive overhead, <laughs> which is, which is um, sort of, you know, the wage bill is, is higher than it's ever been. Um, and uh, and that make that that makes it very difficult to operate. You know, um, they're 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 aware that they have Cristiano for a short time frame, but yeah, they've 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 got this huge overhead. So how do you build a competitive team around him and all the stability that had characterised Juventus from the second year of Agnelli's presidency when they hired Conte, just. Uh, it abandons them. I mean, I was uh, I was going to ask um, about about Ronaldo, obviously, and his impact. But I'm surprised that you've put him right at the centre of this, like a just an enormous club shattering folly. <laughs> well, I, I think one of the interesting things, Ken, that happens is uh, it's at that moment that shortly after the signing of Cristiano, the uh, the club decides to reshuffle its executive team and what happens is this guy um, Giuseppe Marotta um, who's kind of really experienced um, he's called a chief executive but what that means is he's kind of a, a sporting director with you know sort of more powers and he gets kind of ousted it's like um, thanks Beppe you've done a great job but um, we think we can we can do this on our own now we think we need to refresh um, the executive team and they promote Fabio Paratici um, Paratici is now Tottenham. managing director at Tottenham. And Paratici was promoted on the back of uh, the signing of Cristiano. That was his baby. He did it. Um, and, you know, they sort of bring in a new chief revenue officer because we've got Cristiano. We need to sort of make the most of that. Um, they bring in some other people. And uh, Marotta, in the meanwhile, he spends very little time out of the game. He's basically headhunted by Inter, who decide that in order to beat Juventus, they have to become more like Juventus. They hire Marotta, they hire Antonio Conte, and they knock Juventus off their perch. Um, and yeah, ultimately, it depends how much credit you want to give Marotta for, for building that, that Juventus team, which started with them getting Pirlo on a free transfer when... You know, many people in Italy at that time thought Pirlo had had his day. You know, he was on the, the margins of the last Milan team to win the league title until last summer. Um, and, you know, some of the other deals that they did, you know, Pogba, Arturo Vidal, and that sort of thing. Um, but, I mean, to co come back to, to what happened and, and not to kind of put this all on Cristiano, I just think the, the, the ripple effects, the change of, of model that that transfer um, kind of affected 
um, you know, has in some respects contributed to, to Juventus's um, decline because it meant that they had less margin for error in the transfer market. And to be fair, I mean, they've, they've made very, very few mistakes up until then. But it meant that if you sign Aaron Ramsey and Adrian Rabiot on free transfers, but huge wages, and they're not as good as the midfield that they're replacing, which to begin with, it was Pilo, Marquisio, uh, Vidal, uh, and Pogba. And then it was Pjanic, Kadira, um, and uh, Blaise Matuidi. If you miss there, um, and uh, you can't find ways to kind of bring money back into the team and allow you to reshape and retool the team, then you, you've got all kinds of problems. Um, and, uh, and 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 that's that's the other thing. Signing Cristiano, it meant that players didn't want to leave Juventus. <laughs> so you, you had guys on huge salaries who you know, weren't sort of um, delivering performance gains on the pitch, um, but wouldn't leave because they thought they had a chance of winning the Champions League because Cristiano was on the team. Um, and, yeah, they also had super high wages. I mean, I suppose the pandemic hits a, a kind of peak of football where everyone's, you know, everyone's not not even blinking at, you know, sort of, people spending 220 million on a player, you know, people spending 20 million on a player's wages. And the fact is that, you know, Italian football structurally just was not set up to cope with the shock um, that, that came with the pandemic. And I think clubs like Inter and, and Juventus have been really f- affected, whereas the mismanagement at AC Milan, sort of towards the end of Berlusconi and then with this, sort of mysterious Chinese guy who took over. That was almost almost like a pandemic had already hit AC Milan. And they had to they had to react, become more sustainable, cut costs. And so that's why you see this more agile, more modern in the way Milan is set up, where they sign young players who no one's ever heard of, develop them, and you know, they all of a sudden look very good. That's why Milan are kind of on top compared with Juventus at the moment. Um yeah. and you know I well, that's 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 the, that's the, other, the other question, really, which arises is um, to what extent uh, is Juventus's uh, decline self-inflicted, or to what extent relative? Because the competition has actually improved. I mean, I've heard people say recently that Serie A as a league is is changing quite rapidly. That you know there are uh, kind of different owners now, or you know there's been a lot of outside investments, and maybe people are looking to take a different approach. I mean, as you've been saying with Milan, and maybe these are sort of changes which um, Juventus haven't really, you know, while they've been dealing with their own problems, haven't kept up with. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the the thing with Juventus is that I think the, the, the first seven years of Agnelli's presidency, he kind of got more or less everything right. And, you know, he, as much as we we look at the name Agnelli and we just think, oh, of course, you know, they, they should be at the top of the game. The reality is, 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 is he did very well to put himself front and centre and did it by being credible, essentially. Um, is that because he's called Agnelli? Well, no, no. But the thing is, no, Agnelli hadn't really done all that much um, up, up until he became the kind of 
chairman of Juventus. And I think, you know, he, yeah, this has been his, yeah, his real project, really. Um, you know, I mean, it's, again, I think it goes back to, if you look at the the, the dynasty um, of, of of kind of his uncle, um, Gianni Agnelli, I mean, if you're an Agnelli, you probably want to be running the car side of the business. You know, you, you want to be running, you know, the Stellantis, which is the holding company that has Fiat or the uh, yeah, Ferrari, all these other things. Um, you want to be kind of an influential power broker, not just in football, but in uh, in uh, in business and in politics, football has a lot of visibility, though. I mean, uh, you know, does. certain other Italians have have used football as a ladder to, uh, you know, it does. No, it's 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 huge for soft power. No, I, you know, it's got as a brand, it's massive. Um, uh, but you know, the reality is, is that it is um, a playpen, Agnelli wise. Yeah, I mean, like Agnelli's cousin John Elkan is the guy who heads. You know the 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 holding company Exor. You know that that's that that's what Gianni Agnelli used to to run. Um, Gianni Agnelli used to give one of his former players Juventus to to look after, which was Giampiero Boniperti. Um, and yeah, look, that, that's not to say it's not an important thing, but you know, sort of this is. <laughs> I don't. I don't think. Uh, I think the reason why Andrea Agnelli kind of ended up becoming president of the of the ECA is if if you forget about his name for a minute and look at what he'd actually achieved um, at Juventus, he was a credible football administrator, a credible football owner, um, who'd kind of helped the the club build this new stadium, um, which you know no one had in City A. Um, it made the, it meant that um, even as kind of TV rights in Italy were contracting and not staying uh, not keeping pace with the Premier League and, and the other leagues. It meant that they could, they had something that would keep them, would, would put them back on top in Serie A. A massive, a massive thing that for, for Juventus. And then, you know, in terms of even sustainable, being, being sustainable, um, you know, I mentioned that transfer strategy that they really had until, until they signed Cristiano where it was it was mainly built on free transfers and, and player trading, buying buying low and selling high, and um, you know in, in terms of this this model, uh, yeah, in terms of like the Super League, you know, uh, and and what we're seeing with the the European Court of Justice and the expectation that there'll be some kind of ruling on on competition law and and, and whether UEFA and FIFA act as monopolies or not. I think what's really interesting. It, 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 if you look at this kind of allegory situation that they've got at the moment where it's like, okay, they're, they're eighth. Um, they're no closer to winning the, the league than, than they were uh, under Pirlo uh, and, and, and last year. Um, do they make a change? And it's like, well, yeah, Allegri's got three years left on his, on his contract. Um, sacking him would cost a huge amount of money. And, and 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 the reaction on social media is well, Juventus can't afford um, to miss out on the Champions League, so they they should sack him. And it, it, this this whole situation kind of lays bare how unsustainable and how dysfunctional the the model of, of European football as it is currently formatted is on the continent. Uh, by which I mean outside the Premier League, which is you know, the Premier League is pretty recession proof. It is 
a super league. So the, the logic here is you have to spend money to sack Allegri and hire someone else in order not to lose money, which is the Champions League revenue, mm. which is just unsustainable. It means you're just burning money yeah. all the time. Um, and that's why these guys wanted a Super League where they're always in it. There's, 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 you're, you're taking away the variable of, um, I don't know, missing out on the uh, on the Premier League if you're in the Championship and the, how damaging that is because the Championship is just a billionaire's graveyard because, you know, the, the playoff, weirdly, the playoff to get from the second division in England to the first division in in England is the most lucrative game in the world. It's 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 mad. And, and by the same token, um, you see it with the Champions League, how missing out on the Champions League is devastating for... Because for, it's addicted to being in it like Juventus. Just on, on this yeah. subject, I mean, this is this is a bit... Um, this this is kind of a, a side issue, but it is a big issue. I, I mean, mm. you're, you're mentioning this case, and obviously we don't know which way the ruling's going to go, but, you know, Juventus are still in the Super League. They're, they're one of the, the three, uh, the loyal three who've, who've stuck with it. Yeah. Um, and... It does seem to me the, the 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 more this situation goes on, whatever about the actual Super League itself, you know, as as originally constituted, that a different type of um, future is maybe swimming into view here, where you do have a Super League, but it doesn't include English clubs that you've got. You know, I mean that that seems like a kind of a like there's quite a lot of club. I mean, obviously Juventus would leap at it, but I don't think they'd be the only ones who would be interested in in that solution. I mean, Atletico, Inter, um, AC Milan all, you know, pulled out, but you know, they've, <laughs> their interest is clear. And I think maybe, maybe there, there might be some other clubs as well. I mean, how likely do you, do you think that outcome is? Well, I think we have to await this uh, ECJ ruling. Um, but at the same time, I think that is likely, Ken. I think that is, is something that will be talked about because, we need to stop talking about Europe's top five leagues because the reality is there's one league that rules them all, and that is is the Premier League. And you know, Real Madrid winning the Champions League in the way that they did last year, it felt so improbable. Um, I seem to remember you you didn't give them a rat's chance, mm. um, well, Ken. And, 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 and um, but the, the, I think. There is there's a real feeling on the continent now that the Premier League is the Super League, um, and you know what happened to Ajax, Celtic, Porto, and Benfica over the last ten or fifteen years, where these once proud competitive teams in the Champions League kind of became marginalised and um, almost like feeder clubs for, um, for 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 the top sides that this fate m might now befall the Juventuses, the Real Madrid's, the Barcelona's, uh, and the Bayern Munich's of this world. Now, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich will, <laughs> in my opinion, always make a load of money. Um, but the, 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 the gap now between, between the Premier League and the rest is so great where, you know, when you've got, you know, for example, Leeds United, you know, the, the team that finishes in the last remaining spot to stay in, in the Premier League, they can outbid AC Milan for Charles de Ketelet. Um, and basically, the only thing that AC Milan have got in going for them um, to, to, to kind of 
um, stop Bruges accepting this this offer is that the player wants to come and play for AC Milan. He wants to play for a team that has won seven Champions League in the past. Um, that is the Champions of Italy that um, you, know, you get to play at San Siro. Um, because if it just came down to money, then you know, Charles de Ketelet would be a Leeds United player right now. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's what, um, that's what these teams are having to come up against. Um, you know, that's why I think we're seeing, okay, Bayern have spent a lot of money this summer on proven players like Sadio Mane and, and Matthias De Ligt. But, you know, we're seeing more and more of these, these teams basically have to, sign French players who are 16 and 17 <laughs> before, before, and, and that's smart, but it's before they become good enough to, 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 to the point where Premier League clubs look at them and their price is too high for, for, for clubs on the continent to compete and buy them. Um, so I think, I think this is maybe the next debate that we're going to have that, okay, the Super League, you know, it doesn't come back with, with Premier League teams in it, but it comes back as a continental Super League. Um, which features the best from Spain, Italy, France, Germany, Holland, um, and you know that is that is there to rival the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, let's see let's see what December brings. I mean, at, at the point where we're all exhausted after the World Cup, I'm really excited that uh, <laughs> we're going to have all this all potentially transformation. <laughs> let's get through that ECJ really. Just on, on what's actually going on there at the moment. I mean that you know they everyone was was sort of laughing at the situation uh, Juventus got involved in against Salernitana where everybody gets sent off uh, they lose to Monza they're, they're losing in the Champions League um, Allegri did an interview before the Monza game in Corriere de, de la Sera which seems to have pissed a lot of people off uh, because he, he it sounded as though he was sort of throwing the players under the bus a bit I mean he said he was saying a lot of stuff like well look it's you know I don't have the players or it's always the players it's never the system it's always the players so the, you know which the, the logical conclusion of which is it's you know I, the players aren't good enough to to not get these results he said yeah. at one point um he said uh, I know there's no one who knows how to invent in the last 30 meters but we had taken Pogba and Di Maria for this Di Maria um, I don't think was fit and he actually got sent off yesterday but this obviously was before then Pogba has, has had a lot of problems hasn't played um, when he says that I mean I know that Allegri is a is a top coach I mean he was you know he, and he's not an old coach like he was born in 1967 he's won the league both with Milan and then five times with Juventus he won the double for those years in the Champions League final twice I mean this guy is at the top of his game he says something like that, and I, uh, that just reminds me of Trapattoni. There's no one who knows how to how to do magic in the last 30 meters of the field. That's the kind of thing Trapattoni used to say when Ireland couldn't win. Um, yeah. it must it must annoy the, the it must annoy Juventus to hear their coach talking like this. It's interesting. Uh, at Juventus, you know, they they have this motto, which is uh, winning isn't important; it's the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter how you win, as long as you win. Um, and Allegri embodies that. And, you know, I mean, you can go back to sort of 2018 when they, they sacked him the first time. They, they went in a completely different direction with Sarri. doesn't matter how you win on the Sarri. Uh, um, it did matter how you win on the Pirlo. He's, you know, he's, he's you know, as much as people look at Pirlo and say he's a rookie, he's not cut out for it. You know, he's, he, his ideas at least are very in step with, um, with modern coaching. And, um, and with with Allegri, 
uh, in his two years out the game, um, it, yeah, it, it does seem like he's you know he's he's spent that time watching um, reruns of of games from the nineteen sixties, <laughs> right? And it, it's interesting because you know, like he says, football's never changed. It is what it is. The dimensions of the pitch are the same. The rules are more or less the same, give or take. You know, some interpretations of the offside law, blah blah blah. And so we shouldn't be ashamed of our football heritage. You know, we are, we are Italy. Um, you know, if we have to defend in our own penalty area, we do it. If we have to kick the ball in the stands rather than try and play out from the back, we do it. Um, and the discourse, I think, in Italy has really changed um, over the last few years. I mean, I think one of the reasons he was, he was sacked was I think they, they felt it had run its course. I think they felt that they wanted to play a more attacking style of football, higher at the pitch, more possession-based, because that's what Cristiano wanted and would get the best out of Cristiano. Um, but we've, we've got these culture wars going on in, in Italy. Um, and it's really interesting, actually, because one of the guys at the forefront of them has now just been announced as the new Brighton manager, which is this guy, Roberto Di Zerbi. Um, and Di Zerbi, um, <laughs> He, you know, he, he's someone who's spent time with uh, with uh, Pep Guardiola. So when he, he he started his coaching career, he went to watch Pep's Bayern train when they were in the Dolomites for for preseason. He, a couple of weeks ago, he was at the City uh, training ground um, with Daniel De Rossi and Alexander Kolarov to watch City train under Pep. You know, he was this kind of guy who would. Um, break off from doing sort of post-match press conferences on Sky in Italy to say, you know, can we get this wrapped up? I want to go and watch Leeds on the Bielsa. <laughs> um, and, you know, what you'll see at Brighton is this this guy, he, he loves to invite opponents onto his team and then play through them with these ridiculously elaborate passing patterns, um, which he thinks create kind of numerical superiority higher up the pitch. And for people like Fabio Capello, who's a pundit now on, on Sky Italia, and Allegri, this drives them mad. They're like, this is crazy. What are you doing sort of inviting attackers into your own penalty area? Why are you trying to play through it? Why don't you kick it in stands? Get rid of it. It's just, it's ridiculously high risk. And, you know, Italian football traditionally has always been risk averse. And, you know, Dezerbi's had his backers in the uh, in the media. Um, other former players who are friends of his have kind of, you know, really taken Allegri to task on, you know, why, why isn't your football, um, it doesn't have to be like Dezerbi's, but why isn't it moving with the times in the way that Dezerbi's is? Um, and, and that has kind of framed the debate around Allegri, that he is someone who stands for old school Italian football family values um, and uh, and is out of touch. Um, and I don't completely subscribe to that. I kind of respect his career, respect what he's done. It's not too long ago that he was in Champions League finals. I don't think the game has changed too much. But certainly at the moment with the way he's coaching Juventus, the way he's approaching his media engagements, he does look like that. He looks like um, someone who is, you know, you said Trapattoni. I mean, he would be delighted with that comparison because Trapattoni is a winner. Um, you know, he's he's had success more or less wherever he's gone. He's he's done it the Italian way. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I always found it, me and Rory Smith went to interview Allegri shortly after um, 
yeah, he'd been kind of sacked by Juventus. Um, and he was fascinating. He's a fascinating talker. Really interesting to listen to. Yeah, yeah. The, the interview that annoyed everyone actually had quite a lot of interesting um, stuff. In it. Even yeah. if it, even if it all did have that sort of cast of, oh, I was talking to Rui Costa, and he says, you know, these days if a player yeah you know, kicks <laughs> passes the ball twenty meters, he's a phenomenon. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like the players now don't they don't imagine they don't they don't interpret they just obey. You know, so so he did sound <laughs> like an old man sort of shouting in a cloud, but it, you know, in a kind of an interesting way. Yeah, and um, we we asked ourselves after that interview, is this going to appeal to the modern football owner? That um, yeah, the, the modern football owner I think wants to be wowed by a kind of PowerPoint presentation which has buzzwords like you know gegen pressing and um, tiki taka and all these things. And Allegri has none of that, and he, he doesn't have like cholismo. You know, even 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 you know Simeone has a kind of something associated with him. He's a showman. Yeah. I mean, Allegri just pushes back against all of that and says, football's a very simple game. You know, ultimately you give the ball to the best player, he wins the game for you. And that's that. I just have to basically put a structure around him uh, and that's how you win football games. And I've been really successful at it. So hire me. And, you know, I mean, I was very surprised. I was very surprised, for example, that when big jobs came up during his time out, like the Chelsea job, for example, you know, Chelsea have a real history of going to successful Italian managers um, over the years. And he wasn't even considered. He wasn't even interviewed. Um, and, I, 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 you know, as much as I respect him, I wonder if that image that he presents, which is um, this is how things have always been done. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, football's a simple game. I do wonder if that's enough um, these days, um, you know, he claims that he turned down the Real Madrid job um, to to go back to Juventus. Yeah, but you know, I mean, that's that, that in that case, that's the. I mean, it's the biggest job. It's the only big job outside of Italy that he was he was offered. And in some respects, it's not surprising that the next job was was back at Juventus because of you know what Juventus stand for. Winning is important. It'll experience. come back into fashion, I'm sure, what Allegri is, is offering, you know, but maybe they need some sort of PowerPoint hustler to uh to <laughs> you know to make a mess of things first before they before they start to um appreciate these classic values again. Can I just ask lastly, um uh I was gonna ask about whether Napoli are gonna win the league, but I mean that's too obvious. The answer is obviously yes. So um the question <laughs> instead I'm gonna ask is where does Carlo Ancelotti fit into this culture war that you're that you're talking about? I mean you know, he he seems in a lot of ways like a, a kind of um, a classic Italian manager. You know, he's yeah. he presents himself maybe a bit more in the in the Allegri style. The difference is that he has had this stupendous success uh, everywhere he's gone. You know, I mean, you just can't argue with the success anymore. With actually, people used to say, "Well, you know, does he win the league as much as he should?" He you know tends to manage pretty good teams, and you just have to look at the number of Champions Leagues now, and and, and it's like, well, no one, no one else can touch me now. Where does he, um, where does he fit in, or is he diplomatically refusing to take sides? Well, Allegri used Ancelotti uh, last week as kind of, um, yeah, see, this is what football is all about. Um, because Ancelotti gave an interview um, in, in Italy uh, last week in which he said, you know, the kind of the turning point for his Real Madrid side last year was against Shakhtar in the group stage where they basically decided to defend 20 metres deeper uh, and then start kind of counterattacking. 
Um, and Allegri was like, ah, see, you know, you don't have to play this high line possession based game um, with all this kind of intricate passing. It's just a, a simple thing. You talk to your players, you see what they're comfortable with. And, uh, and you do that. And there, there should be no shame in, in playing that style of football. And uh, I think Ancelotti, you know, the, the reason why Ancelotti is, is still so kind of current um, is he's just very adaptable. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, that is, that is something that goes to the core of Italian coaching identity. Um, I think so. At least that's what they're taught at their kind of, you know, Ivy League coaching school in Tuscany, Coveciano, you know, it's, it's interesting because even Conte reiterates this and, you know, people don't think of Conte as being adaptable. They think of him playing three, five, two or three, four, three or whatever, and never changing from it. But I remember Conte's first press conference when he was announced Chelsea manager, he said, you know, that the, the, a manager's job is like, is like that of a tailor. You know, you cut your cloth accordingly. Mm. And Ancelotti does that. He, he adapts to, whichever club he's at, whichever players he's got. Um, he's brilliant at coaching superstars and managing up with demanding owners. Um, and I, I think that's probably how Allegri sees himself or, you know, wanted to, to see himself because you know, he, he, he did that very successfully with Berlusconi at, at AC Milan. He's done it with Agnelli, um, you know, at Juventus. He has been very good at managing big name players, um, you know, at, at, at Milan, that was, you know, sort of earlier peak Zlatan. Um, your players like Ronaldinho, Robinho, Pilo, um, Nesta. And then at Juventus, you know, they've had some very big names um, uh, over the years as well. So I think Ancelotti is, I don't want to say old school Italian, but, you know, he's, he's very much of the opinion that, I think what he feels held him back at the beginning of his coaching career was, you know, he played under Arrigo Sacchi. Sacchi then said, come on to my staff. And Sacchi, you know, it was 4-4-2, no, no playmakers, no number 10s. Uh, we press, we attack as one, defend as one. Uh, the team is the star. Uh, and, uh, you know, that led Ancelotti at the beginning of his career um, uh, at Parma to sell Gianfranco Zola, to say no to signing Roberto Baggio. And then he got the Juventus job and they were like, yeah, we've got Zinedine Zidane. You might want to actually adapt to, to him and, um, and make the best of him. And that changed, that changed him. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, An Ancelotti's had an incredibly long career. Saki burnt out very quickly. Um, and I, I think there was a feel that feeling that he was too rigid, that he didn't move with the times. You, you can't uh, sort of go against the players all the time either. Like, or, or you know, it's it's difficult. It's it burns a lot of energy to um, constantly be screaming at them to run harder. Yeah, yeah, with a with one of those uh, megaphones because uh, that's what Saki used to use. But um, but yeah, and. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons Ancelotti's success is one of the kind of reasons I'm a little bit reluctant to write off Allegri. Um, just because, you know, you say that Ancelotti's been successful where he, wherever he's been. It felt like his time was kind of over after, after Bayern, you know, that, that he, went to, he went to Napoli. Um, there was a kind of weird mutiny at Napoli and he got sacked and then he ends up at Everton. Uh, and he was, he was talking about how he 
you know, he loved the coastline around Merseyside, which, you know, was, which was, a, 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 you know, I'm sure it's wonderful. It sounded, he it sounded like he was he, a retiree sort of, oh, I love walking the dog on the beach. Yeah. And then he gets the Real Madrid job and, and you know, the reaction was, ah, come on, Florentino, you're sort of, you know, um, to use the Italian phrase, reheating old soup here. It's never as good as the, as, as, as the first time. Um, and yeah, here he is. He's won the league and he's, he's won the Champions League. And even like with someone relatively speaking, like David Moyes, you know, Moyes was like widely discredited. I know he's not going through a good, good time at the moment, but yeah, the last two years at West Ham, we've kind of again restored his reputation where you think actually David Moyes, you know, maybe, maybe the problem was Manchester United. Um, and dare I say, even Jose Mourinho. <laughs> I mean, Mourinho is like a god in Rome at the moment. But he, did he not get sent off on the week in another ridiculous he, he situation? He did. Yeah, he did. But I mean, yeah, the Stadio Olimpico. I mean, I'd say one of the things um, that has stood out to you know, sort of, I always get asked on Twitter is why are these grounds empty in Italy? You know, a lot of the time. And yeah, it's because you know the, the spectacle isn't as good as it was in the '90s. Um, the stadiums are out of date, crumbling. No one wants to go and, and sit there. There's been some violence, racism, and um, and the reality is, is that since you know the end of the pandemic, you know everyone wants to go to live events. Um, but the, the Olympico is still a massive stadium to fill with a running track around it. And you know, Mourinho, it is the Mourinho effect. They. They've, they've had, I think, 11 consecutive sellouts at the Olympico now. And it's because, you know, he's kind of replaced Totti as basically this icon, you know, that they, they you know, they, they, they support Mourinho even more than they support Roma. Incredible. And um, he delivered, you know, uh, there were some real ups and downs last year. They lost, you know, 6 Seven one, I think, to Bodo Glimt, you know, which is the worst result in Mourinho's career. Football in Northern Europe has improved a lot, he said. <laughs> but um he delivered their first trophy in 14 years and that's all that matters for roma um roma fans and you know he he his reputation is as intact as big um in italy as it was when he left as a treble winner at inter um and so and so these guys who kind of get written off you know uh, still showing that they can be successful, maybe not as successful as they were in their absolute peak, but still can win. Um, and this is what Allegri always comes back to. He says, you know, in management, there are categories. There are guys who can get you up from the second division to the first division, and that's what they do. They're specialists at it. There are guys who will keep you in the division, and they're specialists at that. There are guys who will get you into Europe, and that's their ceiling. And then there's a very select few of people who actually win things. Um, and he considers himself to be in that very select bunch and no doubt believes there will be a time when he wins things again. Um, and there's a very prescribed kind of point of view. That he has. Um, so yeah, let's, let's see. I mean, Agnelli's never sacked a manager in season in his presidency. Um, you know, even, you know, when things kind of, hit the skids for, for a bit on the Pirlo. Um, you know, they lost humiliatingly to Benevento at home. Um, and, you know, the fans and the media were saying, come on, you can't, this can't go on, get rid of Pirlo. And they stuck with him and Pirlo, to his credit, won the cup. Uh, he won the Super Cup and he got the team into the Champions League um, by benching Ronaldo in their last game against Bologna. Um, and, 
and 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 so yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of people at the moment are saying, you know, it's time for a change, get rid of Allegri, but yeah, that would be quite out of character, at least from the pattern of behaviour we've seen from from Agnelli at Juventus over the last decade. Well, I hope they stick with him uh, at least for a few more weeks, as everybody's enjoying it so much. Uh, James Horncastle, great to talk to you today. Thanks, Elaine. Pleasure. People call them rats because a rat will do anything to survive. Isn't that right, Mr. Hill? Objection. I would not give Real Madrid a rat's chance against Chelsea. You didn't give them a rat's chance. If they get through against Chelsea, Owen, I do not give them a rat's chance. Okay, there's a rat. Rat's chance. No no rat's chance. Camavinga searching for Benzema who hooks it in the goal of back. I just don't see it. Still, come on. I will not give Real Madrid a rat's Against chance. City. Not a rat's chance. Oh, my words! It's Rodrigo again! It's going to catch up with you eventually. I don't believe in magic. I believe in reality. I believe in material reality. Here comes Benzema. Side puts the ball in. They don't know nothing about being a rat. Mr. Hill, you know everything about being a rat. I thought they would lose to PSG. They beat PSG. I thought they would lose to Chelsea. They beat Chelsea. I thought they would lose to Manchester City. And really, they should have lost to Manchester City. And what about Liverpool, then? Are you giving them a chance against Liverpool? No. All right, we'll have another podcast coming up in just a little while today, which will cover the bombshell returns of Jack McCaffrey and Paul Mann into the Dublin senior football team. We'll also have plenty of international football to talk about all this week on the World Service. Ken, you're going to Glasgow later this week. I am. For official second captain's business for Scotland and Ireland. Are you looking forward to your... I mean, it's been a while since you've been out on the road, it feels like. Yeah, is it? Yeah. Yeah, I was in Poland. I was in Poland in June. June? Yeah. That's not that long ago. That's it's not that recently. <laughs> well, that's coming up anyway. To hear the rest of this week's shows, please consider joining the Second Captain's World Service to get all six of our weekly shows ad-free and without interruption for five euro a month. Go to secondcaptains.com to get yourself started. But for now, all that remains is for me to say thank you, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. And thanks to you for listening. And of course, Second Captains podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The Second Captains World Service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.